Welcome to another episode of Cook, Eat, Nourish podcast with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. Today, I'm chatting with the lovely Danny Bennington of Healthy Whole Me. I first became aware of Danny's work with menopause and cancer, her Facebook group that is so supportive and her podcast in that area. We have so many different things in common. I think we could have talked all day long, but we talk about the microbiome, non-alcoholic drink and her three healthy tips to help improve your health. So make sure you listen to the end and there's lots of links in the show notes to the different charities that she works with and the work that Danny does through Healthy Whole Me. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. So welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted to, to get to chat to you. Hello, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. Would you mind introducing yourself to my audience? Yeah, of course. I'm Danny, and I'm a menopause guide. I'm a yoga teacher, a wellness warrior. I call myself a wellness warrior, and I'm a patient's advocate for women in menopause after a cancer diagnosis in particular. Great. So thank you so much. I mean, I think we just have so many things in common. And what is the name actually of your, your website and your blog? I love the name of it. Yeah. So many years ago, after my own breast cancer, um, what do you call it? When I was diagnosed with, I don't want to say journey because I've stopped saying that word because it's overused, isn't it? But when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I wanted to find my version of who I was again because I felt like I'd lost myself. And so I wanted to become a more healthy, more wholesome me. And that incorporated everything from food to yoga, to mental health, to so many other things. And so I set up an Instagram, Instagram handle called Healthy Whole Me. And then a few years down the line, Healthy Whole Me became a website. And now it's a whole well-being platform through which we host many, many workshops, yoga classes, retreats, um, programs for women in menopause. So it's started off as a little self-discovery and turned into a business really fantastic and you were on uh, morning tv there a couple of months back as well I know that was a real pinch me moment but I was very glad when I was back in my village I live in Surrey uh, in a small really lovely pretty village and I was really happy when I got off um, back at the train station back at home back in my own surroundings and yeah it's it was great for a moment but only for a moment <laughs> <laughs> And can I ask you what uh, line of work you were in before your cancer diagnosis? Were you working with yoga, et cetera, beforehand? So my life and my husband's life have changed 100% personally and through our work because of my diagnosis with cancer. Um, I was a fashion jewelry designer before. I was jet-setting from India to Hong Kong and all around the world. Um, I then went back to work after I had my twin babies. I had a daughter first and my twin babies, they were born prematurely. We, I then went back and freelanced and then breast cancer came when they were two. And I knew from that moment onwards, I was not going to return back to becoming, going back to jewelry design. And so initially I didn't have a plan, of course. I practiced yoga and that felt amazing for my mental health and my aching bones. So I did more of it and I started to teach just one class, a Sunday evening class once a week. Um, but my, I knew my old life had run its course in a way. And further down the line, when my hair was growing back after chemotherapy, my husband, who'd been a hairdresser all his life, 
has also invented the product and that is his new work now. It's, it's a hairbrush that is really gentle and sensitive on your scalp. And he's got a patent on it and he's really sort of moved into, moved the hair care market into a whole new dimension. And so both of our lives, I would say, are 100% different professionally. Yeah, that sounds mad if I sum it up like this, Fiona, actually, <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> wow, that sounds fantastic. And do you know what I love the idea? It's turning that negative or that hurdle and just coming back out and flourishing and creating something fabulous out of that. So uh, well done. You know, it, it takes a lot of strength as well to, to, to go and do that. So well done to you both. Sometimes my daughter's actually asked me um, a while ago, she said, mommy, if you could, would you, you'd obviously choose to have the cancer now because your life is amazing and you're doing all these amazing things. And every day I get emails from people and I read them to my children and messages from people that have been on my programs or workshops or wherever, or thanking me for the podcast. And it's amazing. But, but there are many mornings where I still wouldn't change, where I would quite like not to have had the cancer. And so although our life is amazing now, and um, I'm very, very grateful for everything that we have done and the opportunities we have had because of it. Um, it was a massive, massive like, life shock, like it is for so many. And it has really impacted the quality of my own life for very many years physically and mentally and that still makes me feel a bit sad sometimes so yeah it's always both isn't it it is and it's just it's yeah I I said I wasn't you said you weren't going to swear on this I was just gonna say that when you get that diagnosis it's just rubbish you know that's that's all that you you can't really uh describe it so um Yes, but it's not belittling the, the the situation, but um I suppose well done on, on what you've changed and you've you've brought about. And one of the things, Danny, is the um when I see you, I think menopause and cancer, because that's the, the message in the community that you've created. And I think there's uh, a great need for that. But do you want to describe maybe why you created that community initially? So for the first three or four years after my diagnosis, it was very much about rebuilding my house and sharing that with others. So I practiced yoga, I started to teach it. I changed my diet radically from one day to the next. I share that this was also um, not right and a bit too radical, but I share from my learnings and errors, I guess. And I want to um, be open and transparent about that. And But people always ask me, so Danny, how do you, how do you cook plant-based for you and your three little kids? And, and so I opened my kitchen and I created supper clubs where women came and cooked with me a bit like you, I shared that passion. And over the years, I was counting the other day um, for a conversation I had, and I had over 450 different women cook with me in my own kitchen. <laughs> it sounds mad, right? <laughs> Brilliant, I love it. <laughs> and so it was 10, 12 women at a time and we stood around the kitchen counter. It was all pre-COVID and we cooked together. I showed them ingredients. We tested recipes. I loved it. And the magic happened when we sat around the kitchen table and we didn't talk about food anymore, but we talked about things that were important to our heart. And so I think community, because of that, is at the heart of everything I do. I then had to start to prepare for my own menopause. I knew it was coming because I found out I carry a genetic mutation, which after my breast cancer diagnosis was quite a shock because this particular 
mutation likes to give people more breast cancers and ovarian cancer at really high statistic. And so I had to navigate what I was going to do for my future health as well, in, you know, to prevent more cancers. And I decided to opt for a um, preventative ophrectomy. So I knew my menopause was coming. It's removing your ovaries so that you wouldn't get ovarian cancer. We had many, many women on my dad's side of the family die to it way too early. And so I thought this was the right thing for me to do. So for anyone listening, there is no right or wrong. We can be guided by statistics, but we need to do what is right for us. So I'm just sharing how my journey sort of unfolded. And because I'd already tinkered with um, cooking clubs and yoga, I brought loads of speakers in. My first guest speaker on menopause was Diane Dantenbrink, who is now run the amazing Make Menopause Matter campaign. And Fiona, she came to my kitchen. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and I had 40 local women in my kitchen and we all wanted to learn about perimenopause and menopause. And Diane was amazing then. I doubt she'd come to anyone's kitchen now. I love her. She's amazing. She's and great. I urge everyone to sign the petition so that we have better menopause care in the whole of everywhere. But I then knew, okay, menopause is something that I am planning for myself. Um, there are conversations happening, Diane and many other people started to talk about it, but it wasn't talked about in the cancer space. And I realized it's much more specific, a very different ball game. Um, and you can't really compare it to a natural perimenopause or menopause transition. And so initially I started to just engage people in lots of conversations. And, and that has branched out to talking to many, many experts across the whole country and in Europe, actually. I speak to most, most of the big menopause specialist centers and I try and understand how we can improve patients' care. But I know that's very specific and not everyone in your audience is going to be just wanting to know about that. But it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It what lets my blood boil because I feel so infuriated by the lack of care and support women get by the lack of understanding. Um, but it's also turned my rage into a rule. That rage I felt for so long that there wasn't enough done. I have turned it into a rule and I can actively every day chip away at helping improve how women feel and navigate this and it's exciting great I love that turning the rage into a roar um and yes I I agree most of my audience won't be in that situation but I suppose it's close to my heart that when you know you have an induced menopause or surgical menopause and people say oh menopause is grand just take HRT you'll be fine but uh, as we both know it's, it's very different when um when you're in that scenario so um what do you do with your roar now? So you do some advocacy work and you work with charities. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, and so I think there are two integral sort of parts to what I do. Like fundamentally, I know I can give someone the most advice in terms of what are our evidence-based um, options out there to manage certain difficult situations, right? And I can put you in touch with brilliant menopause experts. And at the same time, I feel we need to really become active every single day. And this is what might be interesting to anyone listening to us and our conversation at home. And that is what we do every single day. And so part of the advocacy work is still reminding you and everyone to get off bed, to move, to eat well, to listen to podcasts like yours, because they can help us cook better, eat better. 
because we have a responsibility to how we feel. It's not just our doctor's responsibility to make us feel better. We need to step into that power. We need to look after our mental health, our physical health, eat well, sleep well, look at our stress. And this is our core job. And at the same time, I know we need help to do so. And this is where some of the advocacy work comes in. So I work closely with um, a charity called Trackstock. They support young people in their 20s and 30s through cancer. And we've curated the UK's first menopause program because these are all young women and menopause is very devastating in many cases and they're very little support. So for them to be stepping into their power, to eat well, to move well, to look after their mental health, they need a bit of help. So we bring lots of experts in to facilitate those changes so that we can then take that information, go home and implement those things into everyday life. I also work with Future Dreams Charity, which is a breast cancer charity. We're planning loads of workshops for 2023. So that's really exciting. And in general, it's this two-pronged approach. I want everyone to understand that feeling better, we can't rely on one thing because by the time my diet was my absolute best and it was tip top, I, I'll tell you, if you have any nutritionist, any scientist, Tim Spector looking at my diet, he would have gone, oh my gosh, you are amazing. <laughs> my <laughs> mental health was at an all time low and I had no quality of life. I felt absolutely encapsulated by my fear of recurrence. And so I know that one thing alone wasn't helping me to live this healthy, wholesome life I was striving for. And I think we need to do a bit of everything, really. That's true. And yeah, I love that, that it, we are responsible for our feelings, our results, etc. So, uh, but I agree with you. It's it's all the different sides to it that we, we need help with from the, you know, the sleep and the activity and the food and the mental health that really is looking at the healthy whole meal, whole me, I should say. Um, okay. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was making a, you changed your diet radically with the diagnosis. Could you maybe um, highlight some of the things that you changed or some of the things you, yeah. Well, some of the mistakes I made, Fiona, are you calling me out? Oh <laughs> no, what I was going to say was more of the, the, uh, the foods or habits that you recognize that needed to be changed. And then if you like, you can tell us about the perhaps. Uh, no, no, I start with how it happened. I did think that from one day to the next, I needed to cut out major food groups. And this is what many people I speak to want to do when they start to think about their diet. We start thinking about the things we shouldn't have. So for me, it was alcohol. For me, it was caffeine. For me, it was sugar. For me, it was anything processed. It was meat, any animal products. It was dairy. Um, what have I forgotten? Gluten. And so I thought I needed to eliminate all those food groups. And I think it was about seven quite major food groups that from one day to the next, January 2014, the first, they went. But I wasn't a very good cook beforehand, so I can't tell you what I was eating. But I remember so clearly 
Delicious Liella became quite famous on Instagram then. Do you remember her? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I was cooking courgette spaghettis for my, you know, you're talking four-year-old twin girls, six-year-old little preschooler and for my really sporty husband. And I was cooking courgette spaghetti and all of that. And on that day, my husband went to the fish and chip shop afterwards because he just wasn't getting satisfied. <laughs> and one of the twins had poured the courgette spaghettis over their head. <laughs> and at that yeah. point, I thought, gosh, something's got to give. So then I started to cook for them and me and everyone differently. Well, that was no joy. So there was no joy in what I was doing. But what all of this was teaching me is teach. It taught me how to cook with veg. That was great. It taught me how to cook. It taught me how to be interested in food. And it also gave me hope. And it gave me the hope that I was on the right track because Whatever the statistics are, and I know you and I are both fans of amazing dietitians like Hilary Ward, aren't we? And the fantastic mm -hmm. work, the menopause diet plan. But I tuned into thinking that my diet really has a big effect on me. And that is great. So it really gave me hope. And I really hoped that I could reduce my chances of a cancer recurrence by eating a certain way. Now, that feels like a huge responsibility. And I know I got some of it wrong because we can't undo what, you know, cancer is never our fault. And we can change and tinker with statistics. And I know I was being very harsh on myself, but it did teach me how to cook and it did give me hope then. But luckily, my family talked a bit of sense in me and they sent me on an amazing nutrition in practice course at Leeds Cookery School. And ah. I learned about the fundamentals of eating. And so, and then I also tuned into people like Tim Spector, who obviously everyone knows now, our gut health guru. And my diet suddenly didn't become free from seven major food groups. It became obviously full of things. And I started to bring some animal products back in and I started to just enrich my diet. And so my mum then, who is a... a psychologist she said Danny imagine you're in a dark room and you put headlights on your forehead and then you turn them on and whatever you look at this is what you shine your focus on and so she said imagine you shine your focus your whole life on the fact that you mustn't eat chocolate every single time you turn the lights on you'll see the chocolate all you want is the chocolate <laughs> So instead of, I was turning those headlights on every single day on big fruit bowls, on big vegetable ratatouilles and veggie chilies and food that the whole family enjoyed. And it not only became a tasty process, it became a really enjoyable process. And I brought the community and joy back into eating that I think I had lost before then. Wow, I, yeah, I love that description about the the headlights and, and the way that I would always say to people is don't focus on what you can't eat, focus on how you can add more nutrients to what you currently have. Um, so that's great. So one of the things you've mentioned there was the alcohol. And one of the posts that you I've seen you do lately is uh, making your fancy non-alcoholic drinks. Um, so can I ask, first of all, have you totally given up alcohol or you've reduced alcohol or what are your thoughts on that? So since that day, and that is nearly nine years for me, I have become teetotal and I live a sober life. 
and that comes and came with difficulty navigating social situations, friendships, nights out, uh, at times feeling excluded from the three o'clock shenanigans of dancing on tables. And I was, I don't know if you can hear at home, people might think, where's she from? I'm Austrian, uh, my accent. And I was always dancing on tables, knocking back another um, shot of something, because that's what the Austrians are good for, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of schnapps, a bit of schnapps. Um, so that changed me and altered me in a big way. Um, it changed my personality. I had to redefine me again. Who was I becoming? Um, I had to relook at how the whole society looks at alcohol. It, it was a big deal. It wasn't easy. But I was so determined, like with the food and cutting out the food. It wasn't hard as such to give it up and not drink it. It was hard to navigate everything else that comes with it. Every celebration, we have connected alcohol towards it. You don't go to a christening. You don't go to anywhere without alcohol being there. People expect, people don't want to go out on a Thursday night because they're working on Friday. Alcohol shapes for how so many of us live and I really, really felt it. And it wasn't easy. No, I and mean, in the early yeah. days, yeah, in the early days, I didn't even drink a tonic water because that contained sugar. So I really was drinking sparkling waters. But over the years, I found to make really lovely mocktail recipes and stuff that is so tasty. And yeah, and just really good for my gut health as well. But it's still navigating the you know, people have stopped asking me, of course, but I had so many questions initially about, oh, you're not drinking, what's wrong? You're going to drink next week. And it's just mad how, how big a deal it is actually for, 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 for most of us. Yeah. And I mean, even in Ireland, um, it's, it's definitely part of the, the culture and it is um, a hard switch to make. I haven't gone the full shift, but I have definitely, um, you know, reduced it and I'm being a lot more mindful and enjoying waking up, you know, healthier. Um, but it is, I can only imagine it's, it's a big change. And that's probably why I haven't um, delved into that change myself personally. But I, I am definitely uh, reducing because I know that's that's better for me. But um, back to you. What are your favorite non-alcoholic drinks or mocktails to make? Um, so, gosh, I love kombucha. Do you love kombucha? You probably make I'm your own, do you? Or? I'm more a water kefir because I made vinegar too many times and I've just too many things on with the kombucha. So I, I make water kefir. Um, and yeah. so I love that as a really nice, refreshing drink, similar enough to kombucha. So for anyone listening, thinking, what is kombucha? I'm sure you talk about it loads on the podcast, but it's a fermented drink. Uh, it's a tea and it's cold and it's a bit sparkly. It's got a bit of that sour vinegary taste, some of them. And I think if anyone bought it, just make sure it hasn't got added sugars and added things in. Um, there's a few really cool brands that are really great kombuchas out there. But I love mixing my kombucha. So I um, have ginger shots. Again, I don't always press my own ginger. I sometimes buy ginger shots. So I'd have a kombucha. I'd throw in a bit of a ginger shot. Um, sometimes top that with a bit of tonic water. And gosh, it actually does taste a bit like a gin and tonic. And it's that sort of aftertaste you get. I really enjoy that. And it's good for our gut health. I've got the ginger for my immune system. So I know it's good for me, but it's really tasty. 
And when I sip away on it, I don't even feel so alienated. But I also love a really good alcohol-free beer if I go to the pub now. And there are some like Bex Blue, for example, that has hardly any sugar when you look. And it's a great alternative to feel that you are fitting in and enjoying that beer and yeah so it's a combination and again a bit like what you said earlier um the more different bottles I have at home say that's kombucha say that's tonic water and that's a ginger shot the more varieties I can make up depending on the day do you make your own kombucha or do you buy it so I used to I exploded my kitchen a couple of times mm -hmm. and then I had so much SCOBY. I gave it to my whole community. Remember, that was in the olden days when I was still having people at my kitchen. We all walked around the village with SCOBYs, <laughs> <laughs> making kombucha, baking sourdough bread. And I now just buy it because it's too much headspace. <laughs> OK, yeah, I, I've stopped. And just for listeners, SCOBY is a symbiotic colony of yeast and bacteria. And that's what you use to make a, a kombucha. So it's like a starter. Um, but yeah, hey, you, you, you're definitely making me uh, thinking about uh, making that uh, mocktail with a ginger shot. I've never actually thought about doing something like that, of taking one of the little nutritious shots and adding them in so that you're getting a, not only a pleasant tasting drink, but also you're getting your uh, extra, adding more nutrients to it. So that's a good idea. Thank you. It adds a little bit of a punch. That's what we need sometimes, isn't it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that leads me into the next question is the, the microbiome and the, the gut health, etc. What fermented foods do you, I suppose, A, consume and B, make yourself? Yeah, and you know what? The whole gut health thing for me started when I had my twin babies, actually, because I became this mommy to identical twin girls. And I was thinking, A, wow, I would have never thought I'd be a twin mummy. And then they were identical, but then they became little toddlers and gosh, they were very different, Fiona. They behaved differently. They sort of developed in a similar way, especially for premature babies, but they had different personalities and they were so different. And I thought, how is that possible? They share the same DNA. And so I then, they're now 12, I bought a book by Tim Spector, who um, wrote also a book about twins, identical twins and why they're so different. And the research into twins led them to understand that so much of how we behave and how our health is, how it works is to do with our gut. So it all comes through the research on twins. They have understood that our gut is instrumental to how we live our life and the illnesses we will get or not get. Like why does one twin get Alzheimer's and the other one doesn't? Why is one twin obese and the other one isn't if they share the same DNA? Like so many questions unanswered. And there I was every single day looking at my twin babies thinking, how is it possible? And then I was thrown into cancer world and making all my choices about food. And I thought, ah, it's the gut, it's the gut, it's the gut. And also it really helped me understand that I don't just want to be eating for my menopausal self because I'm not just menopausal. I don't want to just eat to reduce my chances of a cancer recurrence because I don't want to just be defined by cancer all the time. So how can I eat that addresses my whole me and helps me, yes, with menopausal symptoms, helps me, yes, with reduction of my perhaps chances of my cancer coming back, but also to make it simple. And I think if we want to make it simple, going back to your gut, 
is easy and I always imagine it that it's a big rainforest and I close my eyes sometimes and I see a Costa Rican rainforest inside my tummy <laughs> and I see all the birds and all the colorful like flowers and I just see it's such a vibrant place and I feel the more vibrancy the more real foods plants I can add to this rainforest inside of me the better it's going to do and so again the less toxins I can put in I'm not going to destroy my rainforest and so for me that is feeding it every single day like if you have the most precious rose at home how would you treat it how would you feed it how would you nourish it and so it's kefir I love kefir I love yogurt that goes on to my morning mueslis or midday mueslis every time. It's the kombuchas in my drinks. And as an Austrian, I love sauerkraut. And you know, the Austrians, they have their sauerkraut um, even warm, don't we, with our roast potatoes and sausages, which I love. So what is your favorite type me, of sauerkraut? Um, well, if I say that now, if anyone Austrian listens, they might think, oh, gosh, no, she steered away from her culture. But it's definitely kimchi now, which is ah. the Korean sort mm, of version of it. It's got a punch to it. And it's definitely got some unusual spices that aren't for everyone. But I like that on a bit of rye bread, and a bit of pasteurized cheese. Nice. <laughs> it's addictive. I think there's definitely umami flavor going on in kimchi. It is, it is so addictive. And do you make your own kimchi? Um, I have tried again so I've tried and again now I just buy it because I like the one okay. I buy and the one I made was really stinky <laughs> and I think what's so lovely about all these things you got in and out of being really hands-on and then buying and I love that and I go through months where I bake all of our bread and I love baking sourdough bread which we know is another um, way of fermenting um, the gluten because in the process of baking sourdough bread you're pre-fermenting some of the gluten so it's less difficult for your body to break apart I think that's how it works anyway um, and then I don't bake it for a few months and then I revisit it and so it's really enjoyable to do it that way Yes, I must admit, I would be the same. I used to bake the sourdough all the time and I haven't made one in, in a good while. Um, I made it a, made a really dense seed bread recently um, and that was nice too. But it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. Now I feel ready to get back into making the sourdough again. But the kimchi, um, yeah, I love making and, and I add an Irish seaweed into it to add a bit of a, an Ooh. Irish twist to it. And I saw someone today, a chef who... Um, chef for the Irish rugby team and he had put sliced uh, sweet potato in with it. So, like a recipe if you wouldn't mind sharing. I'd love no that. problem. I will share that. No problem. Um, great. So one of the things that I always ask my guests, Danny, is if you could give three tips to the audience to improve their health, what would they be? Wow, that's a tall order. How long have you got at home? Are we going to be here tomorrow? This is the longest no, it's got to be snappy. <laughs> it's got to be snappy. I think the first thing is, is to think of your health as buckets. And you walk around almost like you have Halloween buckets or whatever buckets you have. And you think of each bucket ticking something else that needs addressing. You have your food bucket, you have your mental health bucket, you have your how do I move 
um, bucket, you have your um, emotional bucket, you have all these buckets. And I think it's important to put a little bit of something into these buckets in your week. You might have a day or two where nothing goes in because your energy is so low, but then to remember that these buckets need filling up and topping up from time to time so that we really truly understand that even if we have the best filled one bucket, the others are still going empty and it's everything needs nourishing our mental health, our physical health and spiritual health is one. And to feel really well, we need to put a little bit in each bucket. And the second thing when it comes to food would definitely be for me that before anyone even looks at recipes, because I feel we all know how we should be eating. And most people know what they should be putting on their plates by now for this to be a good balanced diet. And I think there's enough information and enough recipes out there. And before we even start to bring lots of recipes into our life, I think we need to look at how am I currently eating? When am I eating? And why am I eating? And when we break it down and thinking, this is how I have my breakfast. This is what I have for my lunches. And this is what happens for dinner. We need to choose one area we want to improve on because otherwise we're not going to sustain even if, our, even if we really mean well with changing our habits. It is too much and people are creatures of habit and before they know it, they'll go back to their own ways. But if I work with clients, for example, and I say, just look at your breakfast for now, if you think that is the area that you're really, you're back to your old Cocoa Pops or whatever it is <laughs> that you have, <laughs> then just doing that can have a huge impact if you manage to sustain it. And that's not even sustaining it seven days a week. That is even moving away from Cheerios or Cocoa Pops for three days a week and adding a healthy breakfast. That is a huge change if we can sustain it because only what we're able to sustain is ever going to impact us and benefit us. Um, so it's really breaking it down. How do we eat? What do we eat? And then working out because I, oh, I know it. I know this is true. If we fail to plan, we are planning to fail. So to me, it's not about the recipes, the ingredients. It's not even about fermented foods. It's planning for what we want to achieve and we can be super successful. Otherwise, we are setting ourselves up to fail, I think. And the third one is to understand nothing is ever just linear and easy and enjoyable and there will be days and times where we have to graft at it where it's a bit more challenging and a bit more difficult and to accept that as normal because we feel that health and well-being is a given but actually from speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people and experts and patients menopausal women cancer survivors the more I understand is that actually a true sense of well-being requires dedication and work. It's not something that everyone just wakes up with and feels amazing. It is daily input and daily nourishing. And that is a little bit of work. And I think we need to be prepared to put that in to reap the benefits. 
Fantastic. So in, in your short time, you have your three tips. So one is thinking of, of health with all the different buckets and trying to keep it all balanced out. Number two is just to focus on one area. Look at when, how and why we're eating. And number three is that nothing is linear. It's going to take dedication and work and some days are going to be really tough. Is that it in a summary? I think so. And then maybe can you add a fourth one to be really okay. <laughs> okay <laughs> because we're human and life gives us so many lemons and life can be so challenging and some of us are really feeling the rippling benefits of the pandemic now some of us have been going through other difficult things like people go through financial hardship it's as difficult to deal with then a relationship breakup then maybe a cancer diagnosis there's no point in comparing so many things really rattle on our foundations and it's a tall order to to do all these things really well all the time and it's sometimes we're just quite tough on ourselves as well aren't we exactly yeah yes i agree to uh yeah be compassionate is, is very true and so thank you danny is there anything else that you would like to um mention before we finish up on the podcast no but I really, really love talking to you. I can't wait to make your Irish kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, if anyone um, really needs specific menopause and cancer support, come and find me on healthyholme.com or healthyholme on Instagram. And I can signpost to charity workshops, to charity programs. I've got my own private program. I host the Menopause and Cancer podcast. I know this is very specific, but for the right person who needs that help, I'm sure I can signpost to some resources. And unfortunately, I think the, the way the world is at the moment, I think everyone is going to know someone who is in that scenario. So it mightn't be the person listening, but they might be able to share that information with the, somebody who is uh, going through you know, cancer and menopause. And I will put the links below in the show notes as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How exciting we met today, how lovely. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast on Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe, rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you pop over to my website, Fiona's Food for Life, .ie, you'll find lots of recipes, videos, inspiration and upcoming courses. Thanks a million.